Hello, and welcome to Metachemistry. This is episode 49. Tonight's episode will be part one of our preview of ITS season 14, Thunderclap, where we go over the specific rules changes for the season, as well as changes made to updated profiles. So next episode, we will go over the various missions, the new missions that have been added into the season, as well as changes to current missions. But before we get into all of that, with this iteration of the new season, I've been thinking about what makes for a good game. And I was doing some research for the episode, and I came across a article by the British Journal of Educational Technology. Uh, this dates back to 1999, so even a little bit pre-kind of advent of the internet, so to speak, at least in its modern-day form. Uh, the article is titled "The Use of Computer Games as an Educational Tool: Identification of Appropriate Game Types and Elements" by Amory, Nicker, Vincent, and Adams. And in this article, they are looking in an educational context how to gamify education. And they're looking at hallmarks of good game theory, game design, game development, and how that can be applied to educating students. And to summarize some of what that article talked about, they had four distinct thoughts about how to make a, good, a game good, what makes a game good. The first is continuous challenge. See, a good game designer gives their players continuous challenges each of which leads to another challenge to keep them hooked on playing the game. This can be done by setting clear short-term goals appropriate to the level of the player and the context within the game, and then each challenge should then satisfy some kind of objective. For example, answering a question, identifying a sample, or competing, uh, completing a measurement or a portion of a map, this these could be a challenge, part of a larger game. So you want to create continuous challenges to keep the player engaged. Secondly, you want flexibility. Make sure that there are many different ways to accomplish each goal. Simply plotting out a step-by-step -step progression through the goals can be stifling. As much as possible, a good game designer wants to let each player or team work out their own strategy to the endpoint while still keeping the game challenging and achieving the learning objectives. Third, you want immediate and useful rewards. So instead of just points towards a victory, successful players or maybe the pieces or characters that, that are in, they're embodying or in charge of can be rewarded with new capabilities, a new port, part of the board to explore, or even a new task. These are surprisingly motivating, as the point of the game is not just to win it, but to also keep playing and advancing your character or your objective. And then finally, you want an interesting storyline. This isn't essential to every kind of game. So, for example, uh, it's not really crucial for scavenger hunt. But especially when players are compete, uh, especially when players are competing against each other, in that case, the excitement of the competition is likely to engage them. However, a good storyline can liven up a competition still even further. 
Look at pro wrestling, for instance. It's not just the in-game tactics and, and execution of technique. It's also how good does the wrestler show up in an interview? How good are they at creating the storyline? How, how do they get the crowd to buy in? See, a good plot or a storyline can be an essential aspect to a good game. Oddly enough, a fantasy context makes players more motivated to succeed at a game. And they've looked into this and done research that that fantastical element produces more rewarding experience. And it made me kind of reflect on why do we play infinity as opposed to chess? If it's just straight competition, this is a competitive podcast. If it's just straight competition, why do we care about the fluff? And yet even in this podcast, we'll talk about the lore and the in-game narrative and the storyline. And even when we come out with, when uh, when Corvus Belly comes out with a new ITS season, they create a narrative structure to justify the changes that they're wanting to make. Whether or not they do that well or not, we can quibble about that. But we do like it when there's a good story attached to our game. And it just made me think, yeah, for all of us to consider what makes for a good game, it's certainly at least, if not exhaustively, uh, um, describes this. These four characteristics of continuous challenge, flexibility and mission uh, accomplishment, immediate and useful rewards, and interesting story go a long way to making Infinity the game that we choose to play week in and week out. But before we get into all of that, we want to take a moment to thank Mythic Games for sponsoring the podcast. Mo Games is an online supplier of all things Infinity. Um, Ruben is the owner and operator of Mo Games. He's been on the podcast with us, and so we certainly uh, appreciate his support. As a part of his sponsorship of Metachemistry, Mo will be providing a discount code to its store available to all our patrons as well as a $40 gift card that will be raffled off to our community once a month. Make sure to like our Facebook page and join our Discord to ensure you are entered to win What's Better Than Games? Mo Games. So let's check in with our lineup for our episode tonight. Our lineup consists of Devin, Azoka, and myself. Let's check in with Devin first. Buddy, how's it going? What is on your mind? Are you excited about the new season, my friend? (laughs) Yeah, things have been good. Uh, I've been taking a little bit of time with the season 14 doc and overall, um I like it better than season 13. That's by a like small amount. Faint praise right there. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the the criticisms I had of last season kind of carry over into this season. The biggest being no, hold, free wait, manage- wait. Are, are you going to hold your, your okay you're going to li- lay in right I'm now just, I'm just going to get it don't don't okay, bring me up biggest being- <laughs> oh no <laughs> the biggest being free mandatory models I mean technically not mandatory but you are clearly at a disadvantage if you're not bringing these free models and I'll leave it there so we can do this in structure <laughs> but otherwise yeah I'm great so are you like, but you seem a little bit more optimistic. Am I reading between the lines? Are you a little bit more op- optimistic about season 14? Um, the, again, we'll go into more detail about it, but the um, unit of choice buff this season is equally distributed everywhere, which I think is great. Like that's useful. 
And it's not a bad unit. Uh, hasn't been. But these are some really interesting changes that I'm looking forward to try. And it just feels, generally speaking, with one faction exception, pretty equitable in terms of how it's been distributed. Okay. And what do you think about my intro in terms of what makes for a good game? Do you have any thoughts on like what you think makes for a good game in game design? I mean, I, I generally think that those pillars are very accurate. Um, those are important things to make someone want to play a game and want to keep coming back to a game. And I mean, it's no surprise, like a lot of my decisions in game are, you know, units that I think are cool or I like the story of or I like the look of and it influences a lot of my play. Like I don't always do the or select the most optimized options, and I'm certainly well aware of that. <laughs> uh, but yeah, like like you said, the the story is a big part of that because that extra narrative kind of puts a framework around in the game. And it kind of gives me this, you know, this little story in my head about what's going on while we're playing and, you know, how this factors into, you know, this unit's background and look at the cool stuff they're able to reflect that with on the table and things along those lines. While we're talking about it, how do you feel like Corvus Belly does in game design? I mean, listen, I doubt that they've gone to like grad school level education on um game theory but maybe gutier has that guy's freaking smart as as far as i can tell um sure. but like do you feel like they hit all your erogenous zones <laughs> i think that um overall i think infinity is a great game i've played a lot of miniature games over the last you know decade and a half or so and uh, this has been my favorite um is it perfect no, but I don't think anything really is like everything is kind of kind of has its separate place in most capacities. I think the main thing that I would like to see from Corvus Belly, especially considering their RPG roots, is a more narrative mode to the game. I think that, yes, there's been Campaign Paradiso and there's been Daedalus Falls, but they just don't quite hit the spot as far as that goes. And honestly, I think part of it is that Infinity would need at least something of a rules change to accommodate said alternate game mode. Not a complete revamp, but the stock rules don't tend to play very well into the, you know, ongoing uh, campaign of a certain set of soldiers and things like that. But some more tools to make those sorts of uh, game modes possible i think would be awesome yeah fair enough good check-in okay how about you azoka what's going on what are you or what do you how hey. are you feeling about uh its 14 season 14 well i feel pretty good about season 14 now i think that that's a that's a lot of coming off of season 13 i was super con like I, I super enjoyed season uh 13 personally and going into season 14 it looks like they might have like honed in a little bit more and reined in some of the ridiculousness um, that and I get to st I get to approach the season with a new faction. I uh, my interesting thing is I played about 10 games over season 13 and maybe even earlier with foreign company and I yeah. lost all 10 of them. Oh, bro. I just want to <laughs> tell you, I feel your pain, my man. Oh, I feel man. your pain. So I was at our local tournament and uh, 
I lost my first game to Josh, and it was a good game. It was solid. The avatar was real hard. Josh, very real hard good player. Beat. Very good player yes. in our meta yes. for sure. Yeah, it was. It was just a solid, solid game. And after that game, I was like, I told myself, if I lose all three, I'm gonna, I'm gonna table these guys, put them on the shelf, and then we totally did it. So they're going on the shelf. I'm going to pick up something else and, you know, get okay, ready so, for Arizona Armageddon. So let me ask you this question. Okay. I'm going to get into some tournament psychology real quick with you. All right. Perfect. Good. So you about. have talked about this because I'm like, listen, I let, let's be transparent, humble, but humble brag. Okay. You humble get to brag. a level where you start winning these local tournaments before you've ever won a local tournament. It feels like a big deal, right? Like, you really are shooting for it. You want to like, you want to do it, but then you start taking down a few of them and it starts to lose. I mean, we've talked about this, you and I, like mm-hmm. it starts to lose a little of its luster. Would you say that's fair? hundred percent. That's the word I was going to use. Okay. So you had gotten to that point. You had done really well this last year, right? Agreed. Um, and you'd gone to, it's not like you took down every local tournament you entered, but you certainly took, took down the majority of the ones that you did. You were yeah. on a, a really good run. Yeah, I think Morats was all victories, and then Onyx was all victories. Yeah. Okay. So then it starts to lose some of its significance. It does. And that's, it's very interesting that it does that because it should still. It's not like my opponents are getting worse. Yeah. Not at all. They're still just as good as they were before. Yeah. Okay. And so you start shooting for a little bit higher. Like you are like, okay, now it's these regional tournaments. I want to win one of these things. That's the new goal. At least that's what happened for me. I'm assuming that's what happened for you. Okay. That's right where I'm at. Okay. Then you start, you change factions and you don't win a tournament. (laughs) <laughs> we got some similarities. So what? You start to realize maybe I was taking winning these tournaments for granted a little bit. It's good. It's, it's, it's to humble us. It's to humble us. Okay, okay, okay. And then you start going, gosh, you know what? I want to get one of those under my belt again. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. That's totally. exactly where I'm at, dude. <laughs> totally. Resets the clock. <laughs> Like next tournament, I'm coming after you guys. Yeah, you can't take it for granted. You you can only stand on that mountaintop for so long, and then all of a sudden they all co- all start pulling you down, which is great. I think that's a good sign to a healthy competitive game. Nothing, nothing, nothing more than that. No, that's that's my <laughs> that's thought. It. That's my thought. Right. Talk. Good, good check. Good talk. Good talk. Okay. All right, let's, uh, then, well, I will say, um, as I'm getting uh, ready for ITS 14, I decided, okay, I made a little run with Corregidor, then I played with some Shazvasti, maybe not as much as I wanted to, but I was really feeling it. I, li- I really was enjoying Shazvasti, yeah. and I was ready for a little, maybe a little tone shift, though. I really wanted to play with the new Marut model, so I was like, okay, I'm going to play Vanilla Aleph. Um, I hadn't played it in a couple years because the last time I played it was leading up to Rumble and then Rumble got canceled. So pre-COVID, I played Avenal Aleph and I was really feeling like I was doing well with them, but I wanted to display 
how good I was getting with them. And then I never had that, had that chance. So I'm like, okay, it's a chance to, uh, that was an N3. So let's, let's come back. It's N4 new, new, um, um, season, but new iteration of the game as well. Let's give them a look, play the Marut a little bit. I'm ready to like tote this, trot them out. And, but I was thinking maybe I would play 50, 50 Shaw's and vanilla Aleph and just alternate just to keep it interesting. And then the new season rules came out. I was like, oh crap, all the sensor everywhere. Am I going to play Shaz Vasti anymore? <laughs> but the Guaylo Harris now. <laughs> Think of the Guaylo Harris. So that's actually what happened is I was, I was grumbling about it to Nate on Tuesday night, the other mm -hmm. night. And uh, he said, yeah, but like the Guaylo Harris with the two, uh, sensor bots that could be baller you just play them different and i was like oh yeah you know i don't have to just play it the way i want to play it i mean how many times do i have to like learn this lesson right that i yeah. don't have to play it the way i want to play it sometimes it benefits to play a faction the way it wants to be played or the mission season pushes you to play it so i'm sure. still me, de debating with that but let me ask you this so I found myself playing foreign company for a very specific reason. And what I believe is that um, two things. One, I believe foreign company can be played uh, much better uh, if you play them without the specific reasons that I'm playing them. I believe that they have a good like base to go off of. And it's not something those the, the good base isn't really like what I wanted to to sink my teeth into. Um, and two, they really didn't fit my like what I wanted to play really didn't fit my play style. And like it, it took several games for me to actually like conceptualize and process that. So do you think that you're going to run into a similar uh, issue with Shisvasti of like, like you want to play it a certain way, but then you're going to play it this other way? What do you, what do you think? I don't know. I the, the, That's a possibility. I will say Shisvasti... When I moved off of Aleph after SLS from two seasons ago, um, I wanted a new experience. I wanted to see if I could win with a new faction and not just that, but do it with a new kind of play style. And that was an utter failure with Corregidor. And, <laughs> and um, because similar to what you said, I think Corregidor wants to be played a certain way. I just didn't want to play that. That was uninteresting to me. And so why like, why play a faction if you're not interested in playing it? Totally. totally. Right? The way it wants to be played. So Shazvasti was something that had always kicked around in my head. Is like I remember telling Mark Rebus um, this years ago, if there was ever a faction that could move me off of Aleph, it might be Shazvasti, just because they play so differently. They really do. Mm -hmm. And, um, but I, again, it's a faction that like, I really was leaning towards some things that I wanted to pull the, the profiles and the style that I wanted to play that seemed interesting to me, not just an, uh, difference. So, yeah, I think when I was looking at this one, uh, when I was looking at Shaw's uh, with the new season coming around, I came up with a list that uh, leans into the Guaylo Harris, but also uses some of the more iconic 
um, trooper profiles from Shaw's like Speculos and Noctifers and that sort of thing still. Nice. Um, mm-hmm. So I'm, yeah. I think it's it's certainly viable. It's also got Shishkin in. I think instead Ooh, of the Guaylo, I put awesome. Shishkin in the, uh, on this one, uh, just to cool. run her with the two uh, FO bots. But um, yeah, I don't know. We'll, we'll ha- like the only way to answer that fundamental question that you asked is to play and try it, right? And yeah, absolutely. that's what makes it fun. So, so yeah, just, let's get... Not to ruin your fun, but Shishkin can't form... You totally ruined my fun. Dude, you totally ruined my fun. You have to take a Guayla. No more fun oh, for you. And right, I mean, they're fine. good Guayla profiles. It's, it's not that big of a difference, truthfully. <laughs> like, you, you swap a Guayla in, you have more points, basically. Yeah. So, so yeah. You, let's talk about the... what. Let's let's dive into this ITS season here. All right, let's do this. So, ITS season 14... Thunderclap. We've had a number of different changes come out, and this has been a bit of a meta shift, not just in terms of the new rules that usually get associated with the season and the new missions, but also a bunch of different profiles that got updated. Um, that Corvus Belly took the opportunity to update a num and introduce a bunch of new profiles. So, as we were planning out how to do this episode, we decided to break it up into two. We thought we'd look at the rules and the new profiles in this episode, and then we will look at uh, the missions in a in the the next episode. So, uh, Azoka, I was asking if you could spearhead us a little bit on yeah. the new rules and profiles. How about you take it away and talk to us a little bit about what you um, see ITS season fourteen doing? So. I think that it's good to just like break it down. So we have a lot of stuff that carried over that didn't change. And I'm going to say, I would say the decompression zone, while it's a different uh, terrain zone, it's functionally the same exact thing. You can probably use your old printed out little, uh, little circular templates just, just for this season, which is awesome. Um, the defensive turrets, those have stuck around. So you're going to see those throughout the rest of the missions. Um, and you can just use the same thing. And then there's a lot of tangential stuff. So like the Corsair and then the Sectet are they're they're basically just the biker, right? Like the free motorized biker that you get in some missions, albeit much, much more toned down. Um, Not not a little bit like what do you see, like the relative merits of the the add ons? So I think that. One of the big things to come off of from season 13 is season 13 not only allowed you to have a really strong motorized uh, biker with the Red Fury and the speed, um, it was Red Fury speed and uh, the mimetism. And the mimetism, along with being able to choose cover, was a specific boon that they had given to motorcycles in season 13. So now I'm looking at these like the Sectet and then the Corsair. None of them are receiving any of these bonuses of like a season wide buff to a specific unit. So I don't think that they're going to have that much of an overbearing presence in this in this season. I think that like people are going to get a lot used to let's break down like the Corsair. They're going to get used to playing with hollow projector a little bit more, dropping in your guys next to each other, you know, in, in the little eight inch zone there and playing with, OK, I can do this kind of safely. And you've got a variety of different profiles to use. So 
And then I think that a lot of people don't have mental access. I want to say mental access to drop troops because I see a lot of openings where I would just be destroyed by a drop troop and then go to figure out eh, nobody ran a drop troop. So now I think that since everybody has to, or at least very much should take one of these uh, profiles, it's going to up their play. And that's one of the things that I've noticed about another competitive game that I play. Uh, the longer that it exists, the better everybody gets. And it's wild because nowadays I think back like previously, maybe like five years ago or something and the play like the uh, international play that I'm you know, watching on streams is just so different. So I think that that's going to have an impact with these Corsairs. What do you guys think? That's so a good thought. One thing to clarify, uh, the Corsair rule, it's giving you a Bashi Bazook in case people aren't aware. Uh, yes. So the Bashi Bazooks are parachutists that get hollow projector along with a couple other things. Okay, I feel like, Devin, this is your opportunity to talk about automatic units that you can bring to different missions. Awful. I think it's bad for the game. I really do, actually. I don't like the I, the precedent that it sets or has already been set as of last season. But anyway, as far as how it's going to affect your games well, in season like, 14. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's um, so good. Yeah, so one thing that I do want to touch on uh, is that while they don't benefit from the global ITS rule, the Tachikomos rule, which we'll go over here shortly, uh, both the Bashi Bazooks and then the Sekdet, which is the CSU, um, Bashi Bazooks have zero G terrain built in, and then the Sekdet version of CSU gain zero G terrain. So in the missions where they're accessible, a lot of those are also going to have things that interact with zero G in some way. So I agree, it's not as uh, comprehensive a buff package compared to uh, last season with the bike recon. It is notable that those are going to be relevant abilities throughout this season. Sure. But in terms of playing with these, uh, one of the kind of amusing things that I saw was that Bashi Bazooks, the Corsair rule, is in firefight when every, where everything has no restriction on where they deploy. So you effectively have parachutist depth zone Bashis, but every Free faction unit. gets them and must bring, not must, uh, really, really should bring them. So, I mean, like, okay, let's 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 break it down. We're a competitive podcast. You must take it. Yeah, for sure. But the, like, that's your point, Chris. Is this is going to up everyone's game? How many people are sloppy with their deployment, where they assume no one can drop in or walk in um, their back line? Like this, this season's going to end that. For, for most everybody. Everyone will be mindful of that from here on out. I, I, I guarantee you. I tell you what, when it just takes you getting burned a couple times by drop troops, and you start watching your six so much more, even when you know it's virtually impossible for your opponent to be bringing a trooper that could abuse that, I still find myself just instinctively finding ways to overlap coverage, guarding all my 360 like lines 
it just becomes second nature. And that I really would attribute that to an improvement in play in me years ago. And I think that that will happen for people through the course of the season or else you're just going to get wrecked. Yeah. That is a silver lining. <laughs> that is a, so nice. So the ta, the ta, 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 ta rule. I feel like it that's a, a reference to Ghost in the Shell, isn't it? Or something? Yeah. Tachikomos oh, thank are you. The, the remotes that ran around. Yeah, right. that's what a lot of these remotes are. That's why I got into Aleph, by the way, Ghost in the Shell. So yeah, exactly. Which is awesome. Hey, take it back to that fantasy in the intro. That's right. Right? That's I mean, right. Yeah, I totally agree. So uh, that role gives you, uh, what is it? It's marksmanship and tactical awareness on your sensor bots. And ECM hacking minus three. And ECM hacking minus three, which I feel like will be somewhat relevant, um, especially against certain hacking factions. But I don't think that's going to be particularly overbearing. Maybe you know if you stack with, firewalls. You know what it helps with is moving into a zone that to threaten another hacker. Like if you've got a killer hacker in your back yeah, line uh, and you want to go extend your hacking radius, but you move into the zone of a hacker, they can shut down your remote, right? That's an so, incredible use. So mm-hmm. having that that buff is a, is a nice little I don't I still don't know I think we should talk through the relative merits of doing that like is it the risk reward but at least it adds an additional option to a tactic I'm a huge fan of killer hackers and you know shutting down your opponent's hackers mainly because I like to play heavy infantry and I'm angry all the time mm-hmm. so uh, I'm a huge proponent for that maneuver I think it's awesome that's that's weird yeah. I'm really happy when I see a bunch of heavy infantry on the side table. I think we get along just fine. We do. We do get along. Um, yeah, I think that that's, that's a really great use. Uh, let's see. Okay, so, Devin, you mentioned that there's a, a couple of, there's a little bit of disproportionate uh, distribution in this, right? For the one faction. Are you talking about Hawk is Long? Um. I'm talking about primarily nomads. Hakuslam is a nomads. second. Yeah, I was okay. thinking nomads. Yeah. So the so with the, the and uh, Pywell and the linkability of Stemplers and that nice. they can super jump and yeah, there's a handful of things. But the Tachimoto's rule, just again for clarification, these rules apply to remotes that have both Ford Observer and Sensor on them, which typically speaking is going to be your utility bot out of the standard range of remotes that each faction gets. Those that don't get those, such as Toha and Ariadna, they're getting a tractor mole for 17 points that has Ford Observer and uh, Sensor and a rifle light shotgun, I believe. Uh, So they're getting to play that too with the same kind of basic remote. What's uh, the justification for picking the tractor mole, by the way? Like, of all the... (laughs) Well, the tractor mole... So the tractor mole is already in Ariadna. It just didn't have the toys to play with this rule. So they just added a profile with these rules, and then Toha slash Spiral gets to piggyback on that because they don't have any remotes. So they get the little Wally trash compactor, whatever they are. Wally. I like the idea of Wally being in this game. Soon he will be with Tagrade. <laughs> nice. There we go. But, and uh, then I think that, like you said, nomads, they're going to get a pretty good buff on that. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, Pywell, one of his uh, FDO profiles have it, uh, which is notable because he's basically a size two 
utility bot with Mimetism 6. Uh, and then the Meteor Zond is a drop troop that is otherwise the same utility bot, but has a combi or shotgun option, uh, which is pretty great. And then the Stimpler Zond has some super jump options in addition to Climbing Plus. Some factions get these bots with Climbing Plus, some don't. Uh, Nomads have Climbing Plus, they also can get super jump, and Stimplers have really good link opportunities. So I think that Nomads disproportionately benefit from this rule, but I don't know if it's wildly better, but it is noticeable. Is that enough? That it doesn't, it's not enough for me to care. That's good, because I'll be using them. So <laughs> Nice. Because <laughs> I was just going to ask, you know, I feel like, listen, I'm going to speak in generalities. Some mm-hmm. people are going to listen to this and be like, roll their eyes or feel like I'm not being fair. But I feel like, generally speaking, when talking about the like top-tier, quote-unquote, factions, everyone talks about combined army, especially vanilla, but combined army, generally, and then nomads. And usually, when people are talking like that, usually they're online players. I'm not saying that's across the board, but that definitely seems to be a part of the conversation in that space. And for the most part, I have, I'll be honest, I've rolled my eyes a little bit at that because I just see there's just too much diversity, too many people having success with a variety of different factions. And I don't play online, so maybe I don't experience how oppressive those factions can be in the TTS space. Um, The combination, though, of Combined Army having a number of different um, nerfs in terms of point costs to their which we'll get into yep they're high profile troops and then this new rule change where the nomads i clearly think devin's right that they benefit the most as a faction from from the fo buffs yeah hawk is this like does this like vault nomads into like s tier as they say (laughs) (laughs) will this make nomads be oppressive by virtue of this rule on these units? Yes. I don't think so, because a lot of Agreed. these benefits, uh, so like marksmanship, for example, marksmanship makes it better gunfighters, but everyone who had access to these remotes could already do that. All of these examples already have repeaters, so you could already give them marksmanship. So True, that's but not you a didn't. big deal. Why didn't you? Yeah, because it costs an order. Because you're not, well, you're you usually had a better option. You'd put it on your exactly. TR bot, or you'd right. put it on a Dakini HMG, or you'd put it on something like an attack remote, right? And I mean, yeah. the bonus isn't really that good, like because I, I, I'm going to see, I'm going to say a lot. You're going to use like a lot of triangulated fire, fire. I don't agree with you. I think marksmanship's just so freaking awesome. Marksmanship cool. is really good. Now, the thing is that most of these remotes are fighting with combi rifles. Um, exactly. That's where so, I'm at. So that's what's going to keep it in check. Like uh, now, and that's where Hawk gets the kind of second best benefit out of all the factions, is because the Rafik has a Red Fury option that's pretty cheap, both in points and SWC, and is a really solid uh, benefactor of this. And that's something that I, you know, people would put marksmanship on occasionally. And it having it for free is very powerful. I think that's a strong rule. And tactical awareness basically just gives, you know, it's giving everyone extra orders. Now, whether or not that's incredibly value valuable on 
these utility bots themselves, that's debatable, but it's really powerful on the ones that have link options because then you have a lot more flexibility with where those activations are going. So I think that makes a pretty significant difference. So I'm thinking like, you know, like the Guaylo Harris as an example, you know, they're not, they're running your power piece up. They're not activating for their own benefit per se. They can, but primarily you're utilizing the Guaylo with that extra fuel. Extra or, orders to fuel it is, is so right. good. You and attack order to fuel your Harris. Right. And Tunguska, which I've been playing around with a fair amount lately, I've mentioned a, a handful of times. Um, they seem really well poised for this as well because the Stemplers have really solid link options in Tunguska, and I can run, you know, two of them in a core of Hollow Men, and they all super jump together, so I don't lose any efficiency there. And that's two extra orders for this core team on top Pretty of solid. the five everything's bringing. Like, you know, you can actually get a lot of mileage out of this potentially. Do you guys think we're going to see some REM drivers? I think um, people will play around maybe. with REM driver early on and ultimately move off of it cool. because I think it will not feel quite as impactful as they were hoping it would be. But here's what I will say. If I'm going to like le- put my like predictive hat on, obviously I think you guys are right. I think that the nomads benefit a lot. Hawk benefits a lot. Uh, anybody who has a linkable FO bot, benefits a lot but i think vanilla is going to actually love fo bots and and I, i'll just say it like this i i was saying i want to play vanilla alef in this next season at least in part i never ran fo bots daylets sure. are very good objectively good they've got climbing plus uh, mm-hmm. There's a lot of people who will swear by FO bots and ha- their general utili- t- utility, especially back in N3. Maybe not mm-hmm. as much as in N4, but like... Um, They're fast I've specialists. Always, yeah, yeah, but I always... They were fast, good specialists, except in Alif, I always had better specialists, just kind of on board in all the profiles I wanted to take. True. So I, I never ran Daleths, ever. I think I've run them once or twice in the history of me playing five years of Aleph. And I will say when this rule came out, I started finding ways to get at least one or two of them in every one of my lists that I'm prospecting on. And the reason why I say this is you guys are like, um, listen, I'm for the sake of rhetoric, you're poo-pooing on the combi rifle. I know you guys know how good a combi rifle is in the right situation, in the right circumstance. Um, but a lot of our listeners are going to hear you say combi rifles suck and they're just going to write them off. We we know combi rifles are one of the bread and butter guns in the game. And a burst three all the way out to 16 against line troops, especially when you've got marksmanship, especially when you have climbing plus and you can get into awkward, interesting situations and catch people out. That's going to hitting on 14s is going to be super powerful. And, and that's not even countering that extra order of getting a specialist up the board. So I am of the opinion, I was kicking this around with Devin the other day, asking how often are these going to show up in everyone's list? I know this, they're going to show up in every one of my lists sure. uh, in a, in a way that like, I don't, um, 
Tags didn't. When Tags got that that extra order, I still didn't run a ton of Tags other than if I was running the Marut. But like, I yeah. wasn't like making an, a concerted effort. But on 16, 15 point troops, yeah. you're getting I'll an extra order. Can you be about that? Yeah, like it's just yeah. huge. Very efficient. So yeah, and just as a point of clarification, wasn't saying that the combi rifle is bad as much as that keeps these gunfight, these free gunfighting abilities a little bit more in check. Yeah, you're like not busting through heavy armor, for instance. Right. I'm just and saying that they're not like wild guns that these are mostly loaded with. Like the highest end is a Red Fury, which is very good with this buff, mind you. I think that's phenomenal. I think yeah. that Red Fury is going to be terrifying. Now, again, none of these are really good at cracking armor, uh, which is fine. I don't think these things should be able to regularly do that. Agreed. But yeah, yeah I think Tachimoto's are going to come up regularly. I think that Ford Observer bots are going to make it into more people's lists. I don't think that everyone is going to necessarily try to max AVA both of them. Most factions get to, uh, to do that for both of them all the time. But I think that most of the time there'll be one. Yeah. If you're not bringing at least one, I'm on the record. It's a mistake. I think a lot of people are going to run them just because it's the season roll. Right, like we're going to without for next year. A lot of people are going to run them. Yeah. Uh, so on the topic of these bots, let's talk, talk about uh, the Evo hackers. So we get an Evo hacker bonus as our as one of the options. And it comes up in four missions. Um, and these are missions where orders are important. So this Evo hacker bonus basically just means that you get one extra regular order in whatever combat group the Evo hacker is in, and you just add that to the pool, and the maximum orders are increased by one. So I think that's going to open up a lot of like fun cool. builds for those. I think you're going to want to think about synergies with Evo. So like the way this generally works with me when I th- what is... If I'm running something like a drop troop that I want an Evo buff on, then I'm also then thinking about a remote that I can also buff with marksmanship. Like you start to like create these webs of you don't want that Evo just sitting there doing mm-hmm. nothing. You want it to spend its order, especially now that it's getting that extra order on something, right? So you're thinking how do you protect your heavy infantry? How do you how do you like you're you're just gonna try to find synergies um that overlap with that evo because it can't just be dead weight well uh partially so in these missions it's giving you a bonus regular order and it of course brings you a regular order and note that it's not the evo baggage bot specifically though that is the most common faction it could be Scylla. uh the war driver now has an evo hacker option so it's any model with an evo hacker up to a maximum of one per list will give you one extra order. So if you bring multiple Evo units, you're not stacking extra regular orders, just as a point of clarification there. But you don't have to use those on those bots, but I agree. Like Typically, if I'm having an Evo hacker in a list, I ideally want to have at least two things that it can do. I want to have a drop troop and have you know maybe a heavy infantry Harris or have um, an attack remote and one of those other two or whatever the case may be and sometimes more but yeah I definitely agree on wanting multiple uses if possible and now sorry and now like you don't I agree totally on having multiple but now you can probably just take one and be perfectly satisfied right yeah, I mean, especially if we're talking getting an extra order. 
And then you're talking about the tactical awareness uh, on the Tachimoto's rule. Like, that's a lot of extra orders depending on your faction. Like, you can get, uh, you know, two, three, four extra orders, Some in some cases maybe more, just from those two rules combined. It's almost like we're moving away from the 15-order rule. <laughs> it's just a guideline. In a weird way, though. Like, it's still 15 models, but you get a whole bunch of orders. Dude, a lot of orders. That's so we can still say, like, oh, yeah, to get into Infinity, you need, like, 15 models max. Trust I've me. got some vanilla lists that are getting upwards of 19 orders now. Nine, like, if you start talking about Impetuous Troops, it's getting up a lot of activations. It's very high. Ian will tell you those are rookie numbers. I know. But I'm talking <laughs> about Aleph here. Aleph. Right, right. That's fair. So... Let's keep going. And I think the next thing to discuss is terrain. So we've got a few different things here. So low gravity, which is going to you know, affect the whole board where terrain zero G models and terrain total have super jump. And I think that that's going to be a huge boon. Like that's going to be wild and people are going to be using it. Granted, people poop on super jump now. But I think that this might open people's eyes. And then you've got no grav zone, which is going to do a similar effect. However, it's going to be terrain total, terrain zero G, or having super jump, you get plus one inch. So it's going to be very similar to the Antarctic territory in the previous mm-hmm. season. Totally. And then I think I'm going to I'm going to kind of tie these together, even though it's not really a terrain rule. But Master Breacher gives your whatever unit you choose zero G. And on all of the missions that it is tied to, Master Breacher will affect the game with that terrain zero G skill. And either that's going to be low grav, no grav, or the decompression zones. Yeah, giving you zero G terrain and D charges are going to be great. Master Breacher is this season's data tracker, effectively. Um, They're not typically with an extra order. They haven't been doing that so much in this season. I think only one mission has that, the uh, Frostbite. Frostbite. Yeah, Yeah, so Frostbite keeps that. But yeah, it gives you some really interesting options to play around with these movement abilities that you might not otherwise. Or if you're bringing them, you get a little bit of extra reward for having these movement abilities. And again, running Tunguska primarily this season, there's a lot of super jump. So much super jump. And so, yeah, really looking forward to uh, being able to hop around tables with these rules. Devin's like getting giddy. Devin is getting, getting giddy about this season. You know, all his his grumpiness is getting purged in the light of the new rules and the new opportunities. Tunguska, here we come. No, it's really just a pie chart. It's still there. Like, don't get me wrong. There's There's definitely some grump that sits on that. <laughs> it's just... There's some things I very much don't like. Like, again, Corsair and Sekdet, I just am not a fan of. What I, you know, this is how I would prefer to have the free model rule applied, is to have a base profile of whatever sort. So whatever goal they're trying to accomplish in the season, have a base profile that kind of reflects that. And then every faction have a minor tweak to that uh, to that profile, um, you know, maybe it's access to a slightly better weapon or a different skill or 
um, you know, another piece of equipment or whatever it is that kind of fits that faction a little bit better. And that's the model that people get. And I think that that could also take the place of Master Breacher and similar data tracker style rules is just have a unit that is, this is a Master Breacher unit. And again, slight variations depending on faction. It sounds to me like you want Spec Ops. I think Spec Ops is a great That'd be cool. framework for that. Yeah, I think that that general tool... Now, now I would like the profiles to be much more similar. Like taking mm-hmm. a Spec Ops that, say, a Muib is not like taking a Spec Ops that is based yeah. off of a Fusilier. Yeah, totally. You know I mean? Like, that's what I was thinking, is like, we tried it, that, and it ran its course... But if ever well, that's the thing is that it's not that it's customizable by the player necessarily, but that let's say everything had a line trooper like stat line with slight modifications dependent you on just, faction just to give it a little bit of flavor. Couldn't spend any points is what you're saying. Right. Yeah. It's not that you can spend XP on it. That's not what I'm advocating for. I'm just yeah. saying that I think an interesting way to take care of that is to have its own profile and then have a little bit of adjustment a little bit of variation and that's the profile that you get and that's free for those missions okay sure i don't think it's materially that different what you're describing like the the differences between profiles like you're saying they've got to be minor enough it's like the everyone gets the same profile it could be like that would be acceptable in my mind to have everyone have the exact same profile I just personally think it'd be a little bit more interesting if there were some slight variations yeah. based on faction. I get it. I get it. I get it. So now I, I would like to raise a counterpoint. I Never. believe that uh, um, this master master breacher, like, cause you mentioned replacing master breacher. I think one of the things that I've been collecting from everybody is the list building opportunities that have been presented. Everybody has been, exactly they've been going nuts sure. they're like oh i want to stick super jump or i want to stick you know this stuff on on this model and it's going to be so cool and that's i, I agree totally. i'm right there i think that there's point. some fun with that and that's I a don't, good counterpoint and i don't mind that being the case like master breacher or data tracker or snow ops or whatever it happens to be in a given season I don't mind that as much, but yeah, I would like to see the here's free models that are things outside of your sectorial that you would never need otherwise. Now we're going to cram them in so that everybody has to bring them. That I don't like. Yeah. Fair enough. So it, on, t- on topic of this, you talked about your snow ops. We got key ops coming in. So this is one specific rule that is only attached to three of the five new missions, which is very exciting. Um, I imagine you'll probably see those in your local tournaments um, because people want a like a breath of fresh air. And this is exactly that. So Kiops is going to be another thing here that is going to be similar to Master Breacher, uh, where you're going to choose one of your guys and then they're going to get Dodge plus three and tactical awareness, which is, I don't think, ridiculously game breaking, but it's really cool. And I think you can get some fun profiles that normally have like, you know, pH 16 without dodge plus three. And then now you're rolling up with your with your uh, um, what is it? McMurder. And you're just like, sweet, I'm dodging on 19. Deal with it. Yeah. Achilles was the first one I thought of seeing key ups because Joan. Yeah. Those missions are typically the direct action missions 
that don't have as much internal, like they don't have classifieds, for example, and HPTs. Like, yeah, Achilles doesn't mind dodging on 18s and getting an extra order. That sounds like something he loves. So now that we've talked about all of these um, kind of universal rules that are going to be applied to the missions, you guys want to jump into the units and the profile yeah. changes? Yeah. So um, I think that as we break, uh, bust into this, there's, there's a whole comprehensive list of it. But I, I want to talk about motorcycles with you. So we took... The, a lot of the motorcycle rules from the previous season, except for terrain total, which is very important. And I know why they made that decision. Yeah, that's a um, big deal. <laughs> is like if you we don't need super jumping bikes. We just it, don't. It wouldn't do much. <laughs> bikes can't jump higher than where they start. You can't jump up with a bike. You could leap across or down. But motorcycles okay. have a caveat that they can't use the jump skill. See, that's why we up. keep Devin around. He, okay. he keeps track of all that stuff. I thought it was a big deal because, uh, you know, these zones that we're placing on the board mm -hmm. have a way of shutting down a big base like the bike. Sure. Yeah. So, like, that's why I thought it was a big deal is in last season you didn't you could ignore all that stuff. But this season, right. that's going to be a bigger issue then I think people realize. Totally. I think so. so. Yeah. We have um, balance changes to these. So we've added mimetism and changed the cost to several of the, what would you guys say, the, the skirmisher or warband type of units? Is that kind of like, would you categorize them like that? Uh, I think that there's kind of a, a spread because basically all bikes that did not have some form of mimetism gained mimetism so that's everything from the yeah. kind of war warband style up to the yeah the more combat uh gunner type bikes uh like you said like mavericks or dynamos or something like that but also down to desperados and coom and things that don't necessarily care as much yeah exactly so i think that there is a little bit of now that we talk about it, a little bit of just you know like uh, differences in between where it was distributed. So, Devin, you were pretty hot on this last year. How do you feel about the mimetism just being blanketly added to all of these different profiles? I think it's great. It went up in points. That's what they needed. They should not have had it for free. If like it's going to cost one or one, one to three points, two. one to three points, depending on the profile. But yeah, that's the thing is that it should not have been a free benefit. I think Ian's like Desperados went up one point. Yeah. Really uh, breaking the bank there. Yeah, I mean, cheaper. So I think it was it was proportional to the model's cost. So models towards the higher end typically went up more. Models to the lower end went up a little bit less. Just because okay. I think that there was some, not a direct percentage, but like price brackets, if you will. Back to kind of what I was saying a couple episodes ago, where I think that mimetism on the Maverick or is way, way better than mm -hmm. mimetism on Yojimbo. So I don't think that you could, I personally don't think you could add those mimetism points of the same. They're different to me. Sure. Yeah, it definitely disproportionately, you know, uh, not disproportionately necessarily, but affects them to a different degree. Because it's not like, you know, when you have a model that has a gun effective out to 24 inches, that's a very different story for that having mimetism compared to, uh, you know, the Desperado or the Coom that's ideally trying to get within eight inches to template you or heavy pistol you or whatever the case may be. Yeah. 
So do any of these. Uh, so, OK, first of all, let's talk about the models that already had mimetism were adjusted in points as well, usually decreased, right? Yeah, all of the ones that had mimetism went down as far as I'm aware. Yeah. So, Andrew, do any of these profiles like stick out to you like that are going to be like a major winner or loser? So listen, <laughs> when I was running, when I was running Shaw's, I didn't run other than when I got my free bike, I didn't run any bikes, but you couldn't, right? Right. Couldn't. Yeah. So, so, um, now that I'm shifting over to vanilla, uh, bounty hunter with a red fury is making every one of my lists. Agreed. One hundred percent. 16 points for a mimetism minus three BS 12, eight, six moving potentially. Okay. I'll let you guys talk about the rules about like, no, cover let's, let's or break not. into it right now. Okay. <laughs> okay. So there's the potential. We l- listen, right. As of right now, there's nothing. They're impetuous, right? So they don't get cover, but I've heard rumor said that there might be a change that allows them you to also choose if if you want your your um biker your to be impetuous or to not. be impetuous or not like on a on a 16 point gunning ballistic skill 12 mimetism minus 3 red fury i want cover every day i want to mm-hmm. like you think a dakini's good running up a flank wait till you <sighs> wait till you have a motorcycle running up the flank like it's just and cheaper so those are making every one of my lists right now. Oh no, it's a Very regular. Yeah, I'm going <laughs> to spend orders on it. Yeah, I'm going to spend that irregular order on that guy. No. So um, yeah, I I love that uh, outside of like Alif. Um, yeah, I think I think I saw that. Was it one of the Navratilova twins got berserk? There's mm-hmm, some. Yeah, you guys probably know this stuff better than me in terms of like what's gotten cool bonuses but yeah samira getting berserk is pretty wild uh she has an em close combat weapon which is arguably the best close combat weapon in the game it is uh yeah on an eight six move so you know a casual 14 inch drive by zap you with my stick of sadness like She's just going to replace the the taiga. Okay. Her sister was always taken in vanilla, right? Like was auto include in vanilla. Now she, I think rivals her. Yeah. I I think that that's probably true. Yeah. So the, uh, I think the Kiroshi writer got a huge buff receiving that immunity shock to allow the Kiroshi writer to go dogged, I think is going to be a pretty good piece there. Yeah, that's for nice. sure. Good quality of life change. Is of note as well. The Montessa? The, yeah. Yeah. Getting, I mean, just the points reduction, which I think is, you know, very valuable on them. I think it was two to three points. Yeah, something like that. Increase Did Cecilia already get the point reduction when um, Steel Phalanx came out? No. Was there any other changes? So. Yes, there was. So she went down because of her gear change and shuffling. And she went down to 32 points. She's like 29 now, right? And now she's 29 because she also Dude. just got this benefit. Like, Penthesilea is one of the big winners here. Holy, like two wounds on a bike? Yeah. Like, real wounds. Like, oh. Now, she has mimetism. 
she's Mim three now. Oh, instead she's of Mim three six. Now. So okay. there, there's that. But yeah, she's very, very good. She's a specialist operative. She gains smoke grenades. She traded in her combi rifle for a submachine gun, which is part of the cost decrease. Like, she's amazing. Like Penthesilea looks really, really good. Um, Zonautica, I'm super happy about. They went down three points, so I can get a 23 point hacker. Yeah, around. I think it's gonna like, be wild. It's real good because they it's already get a discount. Uh, they're eight four, I believe. That Still pretty good. good. They're eight. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, their first they're first skills are gonna be. Eight. Um, yeah, and it's cool for the other ones to kind of go down a little bit because those bikes are awkward to maneuver, and they the limitism is usually not enough to kind of keep them around. Uh, so when you're paying thirty plus points for a biker. Uh, it can feel a little rough and hard to, you know, get that return on investment, as it were. But yeah. everything going down, I think that basically all bikes are below 30 points. That might be a a little bit too generalized, but I think, just, oh, yeah, the Montessa. Montessa's not going to be under that. But generally speaking, like almost every bike in the game is under 30 points now. It's not going to break the bank. It's going to mm-hmm. speed up the game. You're going to have a lot of like profiles that normally don't make the table in the past now on on the table. I, I think that's a net plot positive. Were there mm-hmm. any other profiles that weren't bikes that got upgrades or changes that we need to talk yeah. about? Because I know we're we're coming up on the our time limit here. Like anything so, else? So in tangent to or in tandem to movement, Taiga. Taiga got a mm. huge nerf. You're they right. lost two inches of their move, and uh, they up got increased by one point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, they they went mean, down to six four instead of six. six. I kind of wish they had just done that and not done the net rod uh, imitron, imitron and stuff. Yeah. I totally agree. I think Taiga are what was causing them to just be so good. I mean, yeah. yes, imitrons are good. Don't get don't get me wrong, but it's just weird though. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I mean, there's plenty of things that give regular orders. Oh, well, maybe not plenty, but there's several things that give regular orders that are cheaper than net rods now. Uh, so it seems a little weird to me. I'll take. Yeah. I played Caledonia this last week, just uh, goofing around. Mm-hmm. Galwegians, the <laughs> new the new hotness when it comes to warbands. Tigers are out. Galwegians <laughs> are in, man. They're so good. Rotate the S tier. Five points, dogged. That like nice. smoke on seventeens, running up with their chain rifles, berserking into you. Like they are beastly. Which is going to be yeah. sweet. So on the topic of CA, you know, for Taiga, uh, they took away what should not have been included: remote presence on the avatar. Do you guys think that that's going to be a big deal? Oh, I'm going to cede this to to Devin at first, because he was the first to bring this to my attention. Yeah, so there was a clarification recently by Heloise that um, the Avatar did not and was not supposed to have remote presence. And that was something kind of surprising, because in previous editions, it had the equivalent of remote presence now. Uh, Mnemonica gave it ghost remote uh, remote presence uh, which was the equivalent rule in last edition. But now it's been clarified that it is not a remote presence tag, and so it effectively behaves as a manned tag. So biggest difference there is going to be that you can't re-roll your repair rolls with a command token. It no longer meets the criteria for that. So I think that does it make the avatar 
bad? No, I don't think that it does. But it's just kind of another nick off of the off of the sheen of the avatar. And I is think it, that is it the straw that breaks the camel's back? I don't think so, but I personally, I think that's unnecessary. I think that it's perfectly fine being remote presence. Like tech factions should feel like tech factions. So, you know, why is every other combined army tag remote presence? Oh, that's not fair. Um, the right show and bull track are not, um, but yeah. they're, they're not as advanced in the tech arena as other parts of combined. And I'm especially like justify it by story. I get you. I mean, that's, I mean, that's kind of what it is, right? That's a little bit of that story is coming into play here. But, Do you think this is going to materially affect its presence on the table? Does it see like, here's, we were talking this off offline before the uh, recording, but you know, uh, just recently um, Andromeda got a change to her rules. She went from over infiltration, infiltration plus six, to infiltration plus three. And it had gotten to the point prior to that change where she was in any, any list that anybody who had access her to her could bring. And then it was almost like overnight she disappeared. Yeah. Now she's in a handful of lists here and there by comparison, like she tanked in how frequent she was brought. Totally. And I don't know if that relative to like the actual 15% change in her ability to over over infiltrate if that's like um what am i trying to say i don't know if it corresponds the the reaction i don't know if it corresponds to the the reality of mm, the the it's, change but it's an appropriate reaction you mean right i guess sure yeah but it certainly was psychological enough that it, i mean i didn't i stopped running her yeah, and I think that that's probably a similar boat to where the avatar's in. Do I think it's going to disappear? No, but I think a lot of people just by seeing, you know, another chink and be like, you know what? Why am I bothering to bring this thing? Like after start the point increase. Sure, right? Like the Sphinx is great. Um, the anathematics great. Like there's lots of really powerful solo pieces in combined army. It might be but, cool if yeah. nothing else, if that happens, that might be cool just to see some other profiles make the table on vanilla. Sure. Yeah. I think that. Well, I think I was happy with where it was at just before this, because this feels like an immersion breaking change, if that makes sense. Like there's a certain level of like, I mean, it's, it's the story where it no longer meshes with what the unit is. And I personally don't like that. And it's not a large enough of an effect to really warrant changing in the first place. So I don't know why that would have been the desired outcome between N3 and N4. Apparently this was supposed to be the case, the entire edition. So like, I, I just want to point this out to you. So we're strong proponents of no faction is just too good right like that that that's very commonly our stance yes now i would like to point out that um uh rob paul took first last year at the krug and then um Polly nikes took first this year at the krug both with yeah. vanilla ca sure and they both and while and i don't think either of them ran the avatar um so we saw that i mm -hmm. saw the sphinx in my last game against rob paul last yep. year and I thought it was it was super good. Um, 
along with like like tigers and stuff. Yeah, that's right. Wow. Well, yeah. So I don't recall think it'll when I played him too great, too greatly. Yeah, I agree. So, uh, do you? What do you guys think about Achilles getting multi marks, multi rifle? That that is that wild. Are are you ever going to pick that? Um, the multi rifle profile kind of makes sense in some ways as being kind of close range brawler sort of weapon. We also have uh, a model for it. Right. Yeah. yeah. There's that too. So. Yeah, and there's not one for the AP Spitfire, which right. is kind of funny. So, you know, yeah. what, what can you do? So I like that the option is present because sometimes like it helps that his SWC cost has gone down, actually. Like that was a big detractor when he was two SWC. And it's like, OK, well, I'm getting a regular Spitfire was for two SWC. No one ever it was didn't, for me. No one ever didn't bring him because he was to SWC. I mean, okay. Uh, I'm nobody. Mighty have fallen. He used to be the avatar, avatar of old that everyone would bitch about. And now, like, no one brings him. Achilles, I like some, there's some incremental change. Like, he had been nerfed every single rendition from N2 when he was introduced forward. Every single time there was a balance change, it was a detractor from his overall ability. And now recently we're starting to see him get bumped back up because he's been surpassed by so many things in the game. There, there's still a couple of things that I would like to see get bumped on him, like namely CC attack plus one burst. Uh, and I think that that would go a long way to putting him back where it feels like he should be. Yeah, he's going to get would be smoked that, but... by a chimera. That's basically what's going to happen. Yeah, but at least at That's that fine. point, if you're in active turn, you still get two swings because yeah. Natural Born Warrior doesn't cancel that. If they make that change that you if suggest, that I'm just saying he's fallen so far that Chimera, like he's, he's he cowers in his boots. Yeah, Chimeras are very, very good in close combat, like one I, of the best a, in the game for their points. Like Achilles just afraid of anyone in CC. It's just wrong. Just feels I mean, slap total immunity on him. There, he stops caring. <laughs> That's balance. Uh, okay. We fixed it, so guys. We have, there are a lot of other uh, profiles on here that we didn't really touch into. And I don't really think they're of, maybe of that much note, but you can catch the change log in our Discord and talk about it there. But uh, I do have one more profile. The Shining Jade Star. Bixie, correctly pronounced. Uh, BJ, I think is how that's pronounced. Or close enough. You. She's wild. Uh, again, there's a reason why we keep Devin around. For me to potentially properly pronounce things. Yep, that's it. That's my job. What do you guys think? Do you think she's going to run the table? She seems very good. Knocking her down to MSV1 was interesting. Uh, so apparently her profile was incorrect when it was initially launched. So for those of you who decided to buy an entire tournament kit for that model, Joke's on you. You're now MSV1 instead of MSV2. <laughs> yeah, she's still very, very good. And I think one of the most useful things that she could do, she can still do anyway, which is being able to just lay zappers on things through smoke. She seems to be a really solid profile. She's durable. Uh, she's fast. She's mobile. She's got maneuverability skills. Uh, She's got decent weapons, uh, solid ballistic skill. You've got MSV. She's got 
the vast majority of what you could ask for in any given profile. And she's relatively inexpensive. So I think that she's going to be very good in the places where she's available. Maybe not an auto-include per se, but time will tell. She's going to be good, for sure. As one of my good buddies would say, dummy thick. (laughs) (laughs) This is good. This is good. Okay, we got to wrap things up. So get ready for your final thoughts. But before we get to our final thoughts, we want to remind you, our listeners, of Patreon. You can support the podcast by becoming a patron. Not only does it help us out, but it grants you a number of benefits, like I said at the beginning of the episode. Uh, not only do we um, create like some extra content for you, but you can get discount codes for the online store at Mythic Games, Mo Games. Um, and 100% of that fund uh, gets put right back into the podcast. We've got some cool things in the works that uh, Nathan Berg has been putting together for the cast and can't wait to unveil that to you if you are a patron. So find a link to our Patreon page in the show notes as well as a link to our Discord channel. Speaking of Discord, come join our growing community. Super supportive of everything Infinity. So with that said... Azoka, Devin, what are your final thoughts? Let's go with Azoka first. My final thoughts are, I don't know how many of you listeners are going to do this, but I am going to try and set a goal for the season. I know we talked about it previously, and I'm going to try and do it. I don't know what it is exactly yet, but it's coming. Awesome. I love it. How about you, Devin? Final get thoughts. A, get a win with Forco. <laughs> Sometime this season. Do it. I quit the podcast. I'm out. <laughs> um, yeah, I think that what's interesting about this season is that one, I like that the unit is something that is largely evenly distributed amongst factions. And it's even a very, very similar profile. It's almost identical across all factions with some minor exceptions. So I think that's great. It's also a profile that is not incredibly widely utilized. Uh, And I think there's some interesting changes to be had here with that. But the emphasis on extra orders is kind of curious to me. Uh, Like that's, you know, between the Evo hacker bonus, the tactical awareness on the FO utility bots, um, tack awareness from your key ops and some of those direct action missions. It seems like they're, kind of moving in a way where we're cramming more activations in a list. And I'm interested to see where that goes. Uh, You know, I don't think it'll be something as drastic as moving to a one combat group game, like just not dealing with combat groups and having a single one, but it almost kind of feels like a nudge in that direction. Maybe it's just that, you know, CB is looking for, more activations in general, and kind of more gameplay turn over turn, which could be the case. Uh, but yeah, there's just that kind of little twinge in the back of my mind. That like, are, are we moving to kind of a, a limited insertion style game because of that or not? So we'll see how that goes. Yeah, interesting there, Devin. I've got some thoughts, but I'm not going to engage your final thoughts with my final thoughts or my final I, thoughts with yours. My final so thoughts I, didn't want to talk to your final thoughts anyway. <laughs> So I think for me, I, uh, as it relates to season 14, again, it uh, continues a trend that I like, which is speed and a wide open game 
with a lot of opportunities to uh, explore movement. In particular, we, we touched on this, but we didn't hit it hard. I think that the inclusion of drop troop in the game for everybody is going to push people to want to use drop troops more. I hope that that's my hope because I'm on the record as saying, I think that might be the strongest uh, tool in the game. And I think it's underused. And I think that it get, can, with a good player, it can get abused because people don't know how to defend against it very well. And I'm hopeful that we're going to get a bunch of people in this next season online complaining about the oppressiveness of drop troops because that will only make things better across the board. The weeping and the gnashing of teeth is just glorious when that happens. I just love it. I just you think, love it. You think that with a unit that has parachutists but not combat jump, though? Oh, shut Okay, whatever. I'm just wondering. Like, that was an honest question. Like, it's not combat jump. It's only parachutist. Does that change your mind? Yes, it changes my mind a little bit. <laughs> the ruiner of fun returns. Thanks for listening, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> On that note, this has been Andrew. Azoka. And Devin. And that's the meta.